Okay, welcome at the Journey to the Selfless Self, class four. Okay, I called this class how one became two and how two became three. Now we're getting like we're gonna we're getting into like the nitty-gritty of of what we've been discussing. We've laid out the kind of like the um how would you say it? We've laid like laid down the groundwork. Um and now we want to start trying to clarify clarify things and work stuff out. So let's just do a very quick recap from the per the first three classes. So we defined Toiv and Ra. Remember what the words we use to define Toiv? What's the English word we translate Toiv into? Selfless. Yeah, and Ra? Selfish. Selfish. And then what's the definition of humble? Definition of humble, I'll say, definition of humble is a person who has embodied goodness, who has embodied the trait of selflessness, okay? And the definition of arrogant is a person who has um, who has embodied the, 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 the state of selfishness of Ra. So, so humility and arrogance are not meters that we're trying to acquire, like kindness and and severity and rahmanas, etc. It's the foundation of everything. It's not another meter. That's that's who you are. A person is either an anav or they're not. That's not. It's not just another meter we're trying to acquire. That's a very important point. Um, okay, that was basically class one. Class two, we established that toiv and ra are terms that you can't use for anything other than people really that there's no the idea of a, an event being good or bad um, or an action being good or bad we said it depends it really depends and uh, on the intention behind it and we explained that it could even be remember we gave the example of the guy dancing like with complete abandon in front of you know in the Hasna that that could be coming from a place of complete selfishness he doesn't believe that anyone else exists so he'll do what he wants or complete humility where he believes that only Hashem exists and there's a mitzvah here now to dance in front of Hassan Kala and again he does the same thing so it could be to our eyes it's like weird to think this but it could be to our fleshic eyes that Paro and Moshe would have looked exactly the same to us I mean, they're probably wearing different clothes and stuff, but you can't tell, at least with your eyes. Maybe there's other ways you could pick it up, but it could it could come out that a guy who is completely humble does something that you think appears to be very arrogant, and it could be that a person who's extremely arrogant could do something that appears to be very humble. That could be. Um, and then we spoke about this idea of the mental noise that is really what we call the the selfishness this this constant chatter in our mind that distorts everything like we saw with the ferrari honda car however we preferred the ferrari when it was really the same car why because the badge says in the ferrari and that generates thoughts and that generates all these different words that come up and it, it really impacts how we see 
the object. And that's the same with everything. We put our stick, we put our stick on everything. Okay. Um, and then we explain that that's that that's 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 the idea of the inner noise, which is basically called what we call ra. Um, and then we spoke last week about the concept of name and essence and how a person is a person and then they have stuff which is the person is called the essence and the things that they have is called the shame the name okay so we explain that that doesn't just include all of our possessions obviously that includes much more things more importantly things like our personality that's something that we have our intellect that's something that we have our 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 emotions those are things that we have. We're not our emotions. We're not our intellect. We have emotions. We have intellect. We have a personality. None of that stuff is who we are. So when we're loving someone for those qualities, we're actually missing the person. Not that we can't enjoy those qualities. And we can and we should. But that's not the person. So our relationship with our children, if it's predicated on their good behavior, their cute looks, and I found in my experience that both of those things wear off in time as well. They stop being cute and they stop behaving. That um, either way, the actual child can get lost. And it's very important to keep reorienting ourselves back to the back to the um uh back to the actual child themselves as opposed to the qualities that the child might might possess. Uh, and then we mentioned the idea of identification. What does it mean to identify with something? You all remember? So to identify with something, I'll go on. Yeah, your sense of self and whatever it is have merged. Yes. Excellent. So you can you can really identify with anything. As we see, people identify obviously with religions, with uh, with ideologies, with with political movements, also with football teams, uh, also with uh, with brands of clothes, with certain social media platforms, with but even things like a backache, people can identify with an abusive marriage or or um, or a, or a, you know a, a, a sickness, some kind of illness. People can identify with all these things. Um, so identification is really where we merge, where me and X merge. And that can cause us, that merging can be so deep that it could actually allow someone to give his life or her life for that cause. Because they see themselves more as the cause than they do as, as their body. So they would, like, for example, they would give up their life to save the whales because the whales, the cause of saving the whales, they've identified it with it so deeply that that's more real to them, so to speak, than their body. And they'll throw themselves in front of the little Chinese guy with the harpoon or Japanese guy. Okay. Okay. So now, class four. Just in time. So class four, how one became two and two became three. Okay. So really what we're going to do now, as well to Shem, is we're going to learn a lot of like very deep Kabbalah but in a really, hopefully a really like um, digestible way with no words that make it feel like it's mystical and it's 
very, very practical. You'll find that the more profound the knowledge is, yeah, by definition, the more profound the knowledge is, the more immediately practical it is. And surprisingly enough, the simpler it is to understand. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to say like this. Hashem was sitting there by himself, all alone. There was just him, nothing else. And for some reason, maybe not a reason, but whatever, he decided to create reality as we know it. Well, not as we know it, but eventually as we know it. Yeah. So why did God make the world? That's a really good question, right? What's the answer to that? Anyone knows that has an answer to that question, by the way? Why did God make the world? To give to us. To do chesed for us. Okay, so that's one... one, one uh, and for us to do a vodah for him. So that the, the Ramchal says that, kind of. Then um, the Arizal says to complete himself, really, that he was kind of missing... This is what the Arizal says, the, the way I understand the Arizal, that, that he, he needed, for him to be completely complete, he needed finiteness as well. He was all infinite and like endless and yeah. So he what was he missing? He was missing finity. So he had to create finity. That's that's more or less what the um, what the Arizal says, whatever that means. Okay, and then like you said, Mrs. Alpen, there's the idea if he wanted to do good, then there's another idea that he's like has this this kind of meter of kingship, and he wanted to be a king, and he needed the people to be his nation. And then there's the famous thing from Chabad is the dear Betachtoinim. He wanted to have a dwelling place in the world below. Yeah, you know what? The truth is, we don't know why why Hashem made the world. Yeah, no one knows why Hashem made the world. Yeah, we could like say like this and say like that. Yeah, but we don't know, and that's okay because we don't need to know. We're on a we're on a need to know basis. Yeah, we need to know what to do and how to behave. Maybe one day we'll know why he made the world, but right now we don't really know. We just know one thing's for sure. We know is that he made a world, and we've got Torah and mitzvahs to do. So now we have to work out how do we do the Torah and mitzvahs in the way that he wants us to do them. Okay, so the one quick thing is the idea just to, to the, the story of Adam and Chava when Hashem removed Chava, so to speak, from the side of Adam. Yeah. And then he said to them, and you'll come back to together to be a Basa Erhad. That's really the story of creation that Hashem, so to speak, removed the Shechina, which is Am Yisrael, from his side. Hashem in the Moshul is Adam. And Chava is Am Yisrael, or Knesset Yisrael, the Shechina, whatever you want to call it. And he removed it from himself. So there's now him and the Shechina, so that they could come back to be together. That's a nice romantic way of understanding the point of creation. So when we read the story of Adam and Chava in Gan Eden, or at least the creation of Adam and Chava, or the creation of Chava from Adam, that's really a moshal for creation itself, writ large. Okay, so now... What did Hashem have to do? If Hashem was just hanging out all by himself and the whole of reality was just filled with a simple light called the Or Ein Soif, yeah, the infinite light that just, that was it. There was just like, just light that never ended. Now, what did he do to create a world? Everyone's heard this before. It's called Simsum. The reason says he kind of made like a, 
a little place that was vacant of him. And we say it wasn't really vacant. It was like he just kind of concealed himself. He didn't really remove himself. Either way, he he somehow constricted himself and created some kind of what we call a vacant space in which creation could take place. Okay, so now think of it like this. Okay, you've got a rock, a big, clean, flat, beautiful rock. You take a, um, you take a whatever, and you scratch into it your name. Okay. Now, what do you have? You might as well stay. You still well, have a rock. You still have a rock, but with scratches. But it's got your name on it. You how do you, you you say Rachel? How do you say how do you say Racheli. Racheli. Okay, Racheli. So you take you you take this thing, you scratch your name in it, and you've got a big rock, and you've got written in it Racheli. Now show that rock to someone and ask them what they see. They see your name. They don't see the rock necessarily. Now the rock has become a little bit concealed, yeah. But what did you add to the rock? A label? Identity. You didn't add anything. You didn't actually add anything to the rock at all, did you? Right, nothing physical. You removed something from the rock. And that allowed your name to be visible. And in fact, the more you remove, the more visible your name becomes. Or I say the more visible your name becomes, the more you remove. Either way. That's a good marshal for Timson. That's a very good way of understanding creation of reality Shem didn't add anything there's not like before there was just a Shem and now there's like a Shem and me and if I'm a big tzaddik then there's also you and you yeah that's not what happened at all there was a Shem and then somehow just like scratching your name into the rock now there appears to not just be a Shem there appears to be a Shem and another a Shem in my name or the rock of my name okay now, let me ask you a question. This is a very important question. Turn, turn, put your, uh, get rid of your mute for a second so you can just jump in. Listen, listen very carefully to these two, very carefully to these two questions. The, the question is, are these two questions different? Okay. The first question is, might be worth writing, I don't know. What caused the name to be carved into the rock? Okay. First question, what caused the name to be carved into the rock? Second question, what was used to carve the name into the rock? I'll say again, what was used to carve the name into the rock? So the first question is, what caused the name to be carved into the rock? Second question, what was used to carve the name into the rock? A person's actions. A person actually doing it. Wait, one sec. They're different. So they're different questions. <clears throat> yeah. So the first question, what caused it? A person doing an action. So how and then the will, a person's will to so, do the action. A person's will to do the action. I can't hear you. It's all muffled. Sorry. The person's will. Like Just the red zone. Red zone. Mm-hmm. 
And so that would be what caused the name to be to be carved into the rock. What caused the name to be carved is what you'd say is right, so and then what was used to carve another the rock or a knife. Yes, yeah, so I actually looked at I got so you could like use a hammer and a chisel, okay? You could use what's called a dremel. It's like a kind of a drill thing with a diamond bit. Like that can okay. You could use acid. You can scratch things with acid on a rock. Uh, laser. There's laser. Um, laser engraving. And there's also what's called sand blasting, which means you use a high a high air jet thing with like an abrasive thing. So basically, like what you just said, is you can carve your name into the rock with a whole with lots of different things. But what caused the name, like Mrs. Halpern said, what caused the name to be carved into the rock is your rutson. What did you use to carve your name into the rock? That could be endless things. Like, for example, we had when, when the war broke out just now, yeah? Um, we had our, our bomb shelter in our building. Yeah, We live in Jerusalem, so every, every centimetre is, like, worth, you know, and um, and the 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 bomb shelter was completely full of just junk, like literally completely full. Literally, I was just imagining we've got about a hundred people living in our building. I just it, it was just such a funny thought. So basically, I as I see what's going on, I got you know I thought that this could be really you know could turn into something really serious. So I decided that the miklat had to be cleaned out. Yeah, and I made the decision immediately that the miklat will be cleaned out i i determined my rotson had been determined yeah there was nothing i and i said clearly the miklat will, and then i went around to the people in my building and it's israel so everyone's like ah you're you you do not have a muna you're so scared and i and and i was like whatever you want yeah and within a day the miklat was completely empty it was a massive what caused that to happen was my rutson. Nobody else wanted to do it. Yeah. And there was there was about, you know, 20 people schlepping and throwing and, 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 and it was like a whole thing. The whole thing was caused by my rutson. So that's the same as that's the same as with the etching in the book. It could be done by a million different ways, literally. But what's actually causing it to take place is your rutson. Okay. So now we could say that your rutson caused caused the engraving to take place. We could say the rutson motivated the 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 engraving to take place. Um, but the best word I think we're gonna we're gonna use is energized. Your rutson energized the action of engraving your name into the rock. And if we're going to call it energized, let's now call that a spark. Energy and spark, it goes together, yeah? So now we could say that there's a spark of your rutson, or a spark of you is even better, because your rutson is, see, you don't really have a rutson. You are a rutson. It's much like we said, you have a, you have a personality, you have... You have uh, intellect, you have emotions, etc. You have a car. 
you don't really have a rotson. You are rotson. You're really you're you are deeper than that, and that's like the outer level of what you're really what we call pleasure. And the rotson is the outer level of that. But it you it's not inaccurate at all. In fact, it's very accurate to say that you are rotson. That's what you are. Everything else you have. So now when we look at that rock and we see your name carved into the rock, what we're really saying is there's a spark of you in the rock. There's a spark of you that's causing and caused your name to be engraved into the rock. In, in Loshana Kabbalah, Loshana Hasidus, we say it like this that your rotson became enclosed in the action of engraving. See, your when you, we say enclosed, why? Because look, you see my clothes moving around, yeah? So it's me who causes my clothes to move, yeah? So we're saying that your rotson becomes enclosed in the act of engraving your name on the rock. That's like the Kabbalah way of saying it, the, the, more like the Hasidish, the Hasidish way of saying that the action was motivated or energized by your Ratzon. To say it in a different way is that your Ratzon becomes enclosed in the action of engraving your name into the world. Okay, so now let me ask you a question. Why did I engrave my name into the rock? <laughs> what a weird question, man. You've got this conceptual rock that doesn't exist. And I'm asking you, why did I engrave my name into it? To have a presence on it. So, so like somebody in the future will see it? No, that's not. I meant more just some to have presence there. To make my mark. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's let's say to, so to understand what I'm trying to give over, we're going to give two options. Okay, there could be other options, but this is going to help us understand it. I didn't think of that. Um, I did, but in a different way. Number one is the guy is the guy just loves engraving. It's like a thing, you know, like like in Sophros. I I I I learned Sophros, yeah, and there's like after like. A thousand letters it wears off but the beginning is like just the the pleasure of creating the oiseus is an actual pleasure you don't even care what you write you just want to make the oiseus yeah there's a pleasure so so you can imagine this guy's engraving because it's it's actually a pleasure you're right he wrote his name in it but that wasn't really the he, he would have written your name in it if he he would have he would just doodle it, but just he got this new tool that that spins round quick, and when you put it with all the sparks and all the noise and the, the vibration and all that kind of stuff, yeah, he just really enjoys doing it. That's one option. The second option is he wants somebody in the future to see his name engraved into the rock. You know, you know, whatever Fred was here. And he wants somebody 25 years or 100 years, a 1,000 years from now to look at that rock and go, Psh, I wonder who Fred was. What's the difference between those two options, conceptually? 
the first person is humble and the second one is not. Um okay, then try to let we get let go of that. Just 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 without without our lexicon of whatever. What what's the difference between the guy who's doing it because he's mamish enjoying it and the guy who's doing it because he wants somebody in a hundred years to see his name? You simple, simple non-Jewish, non non uh, philosophical, non-religious terms to describe the difference. Pleasure. Pleasure versus like a legacy that you want to leave. I don't know. Well, the guy who's doing the set, the first guy's doing it for pleasure. Yeah, he's enjoying it. The second guy, he's... He's not living in the moment. Absolutely. It's a means to an end. To understand, to get this clear, ends and means to ends is the whole game. The whole game really is. So the first guy, what Mrs. Coppin said is... (laughs) The first guy... It's pleasurable. So he's doing it as an end unto itself. The second guy just wants a guy 100 years from now to do it. If he could get his recognition in a different way, he would. So it's it's an it's a means to an end. Pleasure's always the end. Why do we do anything? Always comes down to pleasure. Means to an end. That could be um, that's uh, that always boils down to pleasure eventually. So now, this is very important. Again, we're going to just use. I didn't. I'm, we're not using a lot of like kabbalistic, like Hasidic terminology, but these these two terms are very important. When a person does something, we understand the word rutzon. Yeah, when a person does something for itself, meaning there's a pleasure in it. That's called panemius harotson, the inner rotson. When somebody's doing something as a means to an end, that's called chitsonius harotson. Makes a lot of sense, no? You don't really want it. Like when you set your alarm clock in the morning, you don't want to, uh, in the evening, you don't want to set your alarm clock, you want to wake up. So it's kind of like, this is a very really telling term. It's a necessary evil in a sense. We'll talk about that in a bit as well. So we've got Panemius and Rutzon is something that I want for itself. Like the guy etching his name into the rock because he's like a rock etcher. That's his thing, yeah? And then you've got the guy who's etching his name into the rock because he wants some recognition 100 years from now. This is just a means to an end. I want the recognition. If you would pay for me to have a statue of myself, then I wouldn't be bothering to scratch my name into the rock. Okay, so we've got everything basically in our lives divides into these two categories. Everything ends and means to ends. So I just I wrote down a list just very quickly. Okay, you tidy and clean your kitchen. That is definitely a means to an end. What's the end? Is it? (laughs) A A clean house, clean kitchen. Yeah, tidy and clean kitchen. So you've got the means and the end. Yeah, driving to meet your friend at the cafe and then schmoozing and drinking, having something to eat and schmoozing with your friend. That's the end. 
means and ends. Okay, being pregnant for nine months and then actually having a child. If you could avoid the pregnancy and the birth, you know, <laughs> from my experience, I think you'd probably do that. And then you have a child. That's the end. Yeah, going on, a, getting on the airplane to go to Florida. Okay, that's a means. The end is sitting on the beach with your book and enjoying the sun, whatever it is. Okay, going to work, earning money. That's that's a means. Providing for your family. That's an end. Okay, now. Which one do you invest yourself into more? Obviously. And to the ends, that just goes for granted. That goes for granted. But now, this is an interesting question, yeah? Where's the person more visible? Means or ends? We know, obviously, we're gonna, the person's going to be more visible by the ends. But look, I had this an interesting, uh, let's think of it like this. you got a guy on an airplane. A guy's on an airplane. And you're looking at him on the airplane. What do you learn about him? What do you know? What can you tell me definitively about this guy on the airplane? There's a guy sitting on an airplane. What do you know about him? He's going to whatever destination. He's going somewhere. Let's say he's going to France. So now what do you know about him? He's going to France. That's all. That's it. That's <laughs> it. I don't know. And and you know what? Everybody else on the, on the plane, I know the same thing about them. Not much at all. Now, two days later, I see this guy skiing down the slope. I see him skiing down one of the one of the mountains in the Alps. Now what do I learn about him? He's a skier. He's a he likes to ski. You can extrapolate a lot of things from that, you know? Skiers are a certain type of person. This is what he's... He into. went to France to go ski. He, yeah. Oh, now you also, you also hop now why he was on the aeroplane. Okay, that's for sure true. But you actually, when you right. see the guy skiing down the slope, yeah, you actually, that's what he wanted to do. You can deduce that he's a, he's an active person. He's into thrill he likes speed his there's a lot that's what he's about that's that's him that's a certain person I, i'll give you another story i went to the hospital one of my kids this was a a year or so ago and uh it's a just a, a, a weird story it was just very normal there was a girl in the hospital and she had some tattoos on her arm and i thought i thought about this let's say the tattoos well, because she likes them. Let's not let's let's not get all like psychological and break this girl down. Let's just say she likes the tattoos, so she has the tattoos on her arm. Yeah, she has pleasure from that the tattoos. What do I learn from her that she's sitting in the hospital? What do I learn about her that she's sitting in the hospital in the waiting room? Not much. Either she's not well, or she's waiting for somebody who's not well, or I I don't know. But I don't learn anything about her. When I see the tattoos on her arm, I learn something deep about her. You with me? So means and ends conceal and reveal. When we see you doing something as an end unto itself, like when you're reading a college book, yeah, to learn for a test. I don't know much about you. I know that you're trying to study for a test to be an engineer, let's say. But when I see you reading like, 
my mum reads these Daniela Steele books, yeah? I've never, I don't know, I didn't read, read of them. When you read one of these books, yeah, when you're seeing her reading one of these books, now you learn something about her. This isn't a means to an end. She's not doing this for a reason. She's getting pleasure from it. So that's an end unto itself. You with me? Okay. Well, can you can you clarify? I got the means to the end, but I don't fully understand the first one of just like, can you give some examples of the end when you're doing some pleasure? No, when... like the like like when you're etching your name, why or why are you doodling? Oh no, no, I didn't talk, I didn't I was just giving that as an example of there could be an end in it. It could be an end that act of engraving could be an end unto itself, or it could be a means to an end. If it's an end unto itself, then I learn something about this guy. I learn what he likes. I learn what gives him pleasure. That's a, how much do we want to know what gives our spouses pleasure so we can buy them a birthday present? And more than anything, that's what we want to know. That's what they're about. Yeah, like that's why, you know, you know, men always buy their wife something that's like, you know, for the kitchen or something that's really like her, like utilitarian, is that the word? <laughs> never, It never hits the mark, yeah? As you probably know, yeah, as I also found out. But um, but the, the the point is to give them something better, like like a piece of jewelry. It's not it's not a means to an end. Jewelry is an end unto itself. Women are much more connected, by the way, to ends, and men are much more connected to means. Like men are into things that do something for them. Women are enamored by the object in itself. That's a very deep thing about men and women. But anyway, not going to get into that right now. So can I clarify, just want to make sure I understand, it's means ver means to an end versus just the end. Means to an end versus the the, re the, the actual end. The, okay. the traveling to Florida and the sitting on the beach with your cocktail and your drink, and your cocktail and your book, yeah? You The, the means to an end actually conceals who you are. When you're doing something not for itself, we don't know anything about you. When you're doing an action in and of itself, like what do you learn about someone when you watch them doing the washing up? That they've got dirty wash, they've got they've got dirty dishes to wash. What do you learn about someone? You see them curled up on the on the couch reading, uh, you know, reading a, a Rabbi Manis Friedman book. You learn something about the person. Go through your life. What'd you learn about what'd you learn about, you know, when you're when you're doing carpool, taking your kids to school? What did you learn about when you've got your kid on your lap reading a book with them? You see? Okay. So we got this clear. There's ends, means to ends. Everything in your life is either an end unto itself or it's a means to an end. Okay. The means to the ends conceal. And the end unto itself, those reveal who you are. So, what was the end of Hashem's purpose for creation? <laughs> we said before we don't really know why, yeah? But what's what's the goal now that there is creation? What does what does he want? 
to reveal himself. Sorry, to reveal himself in this space. Okay, that's true. Okay, that is true. Marmash, one hundred percent true. Um, do I understand it? But the the way that's done, basically, which is going to be the same thing, is Rashi says in the very beginning of Chumash. The very like the second rush in Chumash is Bishful Torah, Bishful Yisrael. He created the world for Torah and for Yisrael. Meaning he created the world for Jews to do mitzvahs. That's an amazing thing to say. That is why the world got created. For Jews to do mitzvahs. What Mr. Silver said is uh, is a very important point. That's what the mitzvahs accomplish. But the mitzvahs, it's not like the mitzvahs are a means to that end. The mitzvahs are that, that is, that's what the mitzvah is. The mitzvah is a Shem coming into that empty space. It's the same thing. So mitzvahs are not a means to an end. Mitzvahs are not there to make you feel nice. They're not there to give you meaning in your life. They're not there to have a spiritual feel. The mitzvah, the actual action of the mitzvah is an end unto itself. You with me? Hashem wants the Jew to do the mitzvah. You know what it's comparable to? Like your desire to live. We spoke about this before. We asked the question, why do you want to live? If you can answer that question, you haven't thought about it long enough. Because the real reason why you want to live is there is no reason why you want to live. You want to live. Just like everything that's alive wants to live. That's a re And the real reason is because being alive is, is a pleasure. It's the ultimate pleasure. We said you only do, you do everything for pleasure. And the reason why you want to live is really also because of pleasure. I'm not going to get into that right now. But that's an interesting conversation. So it comes out that that Hashem created this world for Yisrael to do mitzvahs. So mitzvahs, mitzvahs. So now, what's the end is Torah mitzvahs. What's the means to the end? This is a trip. What's the means to the end? If the end is Torah and mitzvahs, what are the means to the end? Creating the world and people. Everything. Everything. Look around you. Mrs. Alpin, you're by the beach, yeah? And and Mrs. what is it? Abram, Ab, Abramov. Ab, how do you say it? Ab Abramov. Abramov. You look around your room, everyone look around where they are. I can look at the base of the behind me. Yeah, everything that you see is a means to an end. What's the end? You doing mitzvahs. All of that stuff gets drafted into the end and it becomes hailing. But it's all me, this whole world is means to an end. And where do we see this so, so beautifully is that how did Hashem create the world with speech? And then Nishmas Adam, he blew, he blew from his inner self. 
That's the union of Hetsonius and Panemius Aratson. Why? Because when you speak, you use breath, but it's called the Hetsonius breath. That's why you can talk. People can talk for so long because it's not an inner breath. It's not a deep breath. It's a Hetsonius breath. It's an external breath. Whereas Nishmas Adam, yeah, which is Yisrael, that was blown in from the depths of the creator. That's the inner. That's what he wants. That's the union of Chetsonius Aratzon and Panemius Aratzon. So the whole world, everything you see, every and all the things you don't see as well, everything is a means to an end. The end being Yisrael doing Torah and mitzvahs. So... Can I ask you something? Um, before we said that pleasure was an end to itself, and we called that the in, the panemius rutzon, but we're calling Torah and mitzvahs pleasure then? Hashem's pleasure, absolutely. That's his pleasure. We're not talking about like our own rutzons and our own, okay. No, his rutzon, good question. But his pleasure is hidden during Torah and mitzvahs. Like what Mrs. Silber said, that brings him into his world, which is his ple- It's the same thing. They're not, it's not like you do a mitzvah and then he comes into his world. It's, the mitzvah is him coming into his world. Okay? As we'll, we'll explain that at length in another class, Bezrat Hashem. So now, this is really where we're trying to get to. We're going to understand now what is Ra, what is evil. So he said evil is selfish, yeah? Evil is selfishness. Everyone agrees to that statement? Do you just find it interesting how you think that's so true, but you only really like coined that like a few weeks ago? Isn't that like an interesting thing? I also find that interesting. When I first, when I first learned this, I was like, how can it be that I live for so long not knowing that? Anyway, so Ra is selfish. Meaning that the guy, the person feels very selfish. Now, if you grew up in, you know, in Aza being selfish, then it could be that you end up, you know, becoming a terrorist and killing lots of Jews. But it could be that if you grew up in like North London being selfish, then you just become a normal person and you, you know, you're just a bit selfish. You know what I'm saying? It, the actual action the evilness that the person perpetrates we we've gone beyond this we know this now that you could have actually a very raw person but it's he's not like out there you know raping and killing we, we're aware of that yeah he could be really really raw like we said the guy dancing in front of the Hassan color we can't even tell the difference so so the Indian is selfishness yeah so raw and selfish so what what actually is that? What why why can we how is it that we're able to be selfish? Why aren't why aren't I thoroughly aware of God, let's say? Because you're selfish. <laughs> but but what allows that see Remember we said at the beginning that God filled all of reality. And then he, so to speak, carved out a 
an empty space in which creation. And we explained that writing your name on the rock is a removal of the rock. If that rock was was with, hadn't been touched, your name wouldn't be there. Maybe the potential of your name would be there, but your name wouldn't be there. The more you scratch your name into the rock, the more your name becomes visible. So the more of the rock that is removed, the more, let's say, selfish the person is. A selfish person would be represented by a name that's etched very deeply into the rock. And a, a humble person would be represented by a person who's barely, you know, just very lightly scratched in with it. it very like, yeah. So it's the removal of Hashem that allows a person to have a sense of self. That's what allows us to feel independent and selfish. The fact that Hashem isn't evident, that Hashem isn't, 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 isn't evident. So is that an end? But, is that something that Hashem wants? Or is that a means to an end? Well, Hashem does it on purpose because otherwise there would be, we would have no Bechira. So what's the end and what's the means to an end? Well, he wants us to work hard to find him, to uncover all that rock. So Ra, definition of Ra is that it is a means to an end. Hashem doesn't want Ra. He doesn't want you to feel like an independent, selfish, self-contained, fragmented, isolated, broken piece. He just wants you to be able to choose him. Like you said, to have Bechira. So Ra is a means to an end. The end is that you choose him for yourself. The end is the relationship, because otherwise there wouldn't be a relationship. You wouldn't be able to choose him. So the end is the relationship. That's the mitzvah. The ra is there to give you another alternative than to do the mitzvah. That's called the avera. The ra allows us the opportunity to do an avera. So the Ra is just the means to an end, which means that we're able to choose the mitzvah. And this, and this is where we wanted to really get to, is going to explain to us the term the term Kleeper. Everyone's heard the term Kleeper before? It's one of these terms that I find is usually thrown around, but no one really knows what it means. Like you just, if someone's horrible, you call them a Kleeper or you know, you know it's just bad, but you don't really know what it is. Yeah, anyone has a definition for Kleeper? Most people don't, so don't feel bad that you don't. Let me ask you a question. A Kleeper is like a peel or a shell, yeah? That's an end or a means to an end? Means to an end. How much more of a means to an end do you get than a peel or a shell? You don't. You want to eat the egg, crack the shell, throw away the egg. You want to eat an orange, peel the orange, 
throw away the pill. It is absolutely a means to an end. That's rah. Kleeper, this whole world is called Kleeper. It doesn't mean like abject, you know, like malevolent, you know, sadistic evil, like we've said. It just allows you to think that there's another option. There's God, okay, but there's also me. That's what Kleeper allows. And that's a means to an end. So Ra is called two things. It's called, well, it's called a few things, but what we're going to stress now. And these two words are synonymous. Kleeper and who can guess the other one? Means? No, no, the Hebrew, like the Kabbalah oh. term for evil. Kleeper oh. and... Sitra Achra. They are synonymous. These words mean the same thing. They're referring to the same phenomenon of, of reality as we know it that, that conceals Hashem. Why has it got two words? Why would you name, why would you have two words for the same thing? So it's interesting in Torah, I thought this for many years that if there's two words, it means it's two things. It doesn't, it can mean that. But, but it, it also many times means that it can be the same thing and it's giving you a different angle on the same thing. So teaching you a different thing. So, for example, you could call a you could call it a dime or you could call it 10 cents. It's the same thing. But one is as itself and one is in relationship to a dollar. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. So um, so Kleeper refers to the fact that. It conceals and it's a means to an end. But remember, we said those are the same thing. When you're doing something that's not, that, when you're doing something that is a means to an end, it conceals the person, like the girl in the hospital with the tattoos, or like the guy on the aeroplane going to ski. Yeah? It conceals the person. So concealing and means to an end, they go hand in hand. That's Kleeper. That's what Kleeper tells us about evil. Sitra Achwa, what do we learn? What does Sitra Achwa teach us about evil? This is amazing and so empowering. Why is it called Sitra Achwa? Why is it not called like the, the Sitra the two? Sitra Achwa means the other side. Because all it is, is an empty space. It's not anything unto itself. You can't describe it in a positive way. It's just not the side of Kedusha. That's all it is. It's just not. It's not something that's actually a positive something unto itself. Those are the two most important things to understand about evil. That it's a means to an end and that it doesn't have any any positive definition it's not something it's not really real so now that took a while but we're just just to quickly to finish off this last bit very quickly so the 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 analogy for evil how does it live then if it doesn't have any any substance of its own so it lives off the substance of kadusha so the analogy is a stream, a, 
pristine, beautiful, perfect stream, clean water, delicious, clean, crisp water running down. Someone comes along and starts to scratch away a, uh, a little channel and the water comes out and starts to collect it's like a swamp. That, that swamp will become disgusting and smelly and crocodiles and mosquitoes, yeah? But where's, it's very interesting because what, what, what's making the swamp disgusting? Why is a swamp disgusting? Because of the moisture. What do you call a swamp that has all the moisture taken out of it? Like a meadow or something. It's just, it's just the meadow, grassland or something like that. That's beautiful. So what makes the swamp disgusting is that Kadusha from the stream. The stream is perfect. That's the Kadusha. That's the Boyle running down the hill, so to speak. And when it gets siphoned off and it collects... There's a lot of nice, more details to this mushroom, maybe we'll say another time. But this, this swamp starts to get filled up with the moisture from the stream, which is, in the analogy, it's Hashem's energy. That's what gives it its disgustingness. Without that energy, it wouldn't be. That's, that's how Ra lives. That's how evil lives. Okay, I don't think. We have another minute or we want to, we should finish now. I'll go Let's for finish. Let's have another minute. Okay, let's have another minute. <laughs> so now we've basically discovered, we've, dis we've, we've explained that we've got God and then we've got the other stuff that covers him over. The keeper, the Sitra Akhra, that conceals him, that covers him over, it's not real, whatever, but it covers him over. So now we said that everything exists. Remember, if we go back, we spoke about that spark your rot's on that causes you to scratch your name in the rock. We call that a spark. You ever heard people talking about the sparks of Kedusha? Godly sparks. You ever heard that term thrown around? That is referring to the rot's on Hashem that is causing everything to exist. From these papers, to my pen, to my hat, to me. That is all sparks of Kedusha, which is really little bits of Hashem's rot's on. Now, the question is, and this is a very fundamental question, the container that these sparks go into, what does it look like? And we've got three options. We've got a transparent container where you see the spark. You see the spark, mamash. You know what that would be comparable to? Like a safer Torah. You look at a safer Torah and your mind is brought to the Rabbeinu if you're a healthy person. You're seeing the spark. You're seeing the Rabboni Shalom in that, in that clay. Yeah? That's called kadosh. That's called transparent. Then you've got, for example, a chazir, which is something that we can't access the kadusha from. Yeah? That is considered opaque. You can't get to that kadusha. You can't see it. You can't get to it. And then we've got... What's a chazir? A pig, sorry, a pig. Ah, okay. And then we've got, so that's basically we've described Kedusha and Klippa. But Klippa, we'll finish here, Klippa divides into two. We've got opaque, 
So you've got like a coffee mug, like a, a, a ceramic mug. You can't see anything. And then you've got like the, 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 the glass in your bathroom. It's called translucent. Yeah, like the milky glass. It allows light to pass through, but you can't, you can't see what's behind. You know there's light behind it. You know if the light's on or off. But you can't make out any forms, so that's called translucent. Next week we'll go, we'll get into that much more. But that's just to introduce the topic. So we've said we've got things that are transparent. That's where the godliness is openly revealed, like things like Sifre Torah, real tzaddikim. Like when you when you meet a real tzaddik, you do not walk away, turning around to your friend and saying, "Wow, that guy was amazing," or "That woman was amazing." Yeah, you walk away thinking about Rabboni Shalom. A real tzaddik is literally a clean window to Hashem. That's what he is or she is. That's transparent. Then you've got the opposite end of the spectrum that is opaque. You have no idea what's behind it. And then you've got this intermediate level, which is where our work as Jews is basically focused, which is called the translucent, okay? And well, next week we'll get into that as well. Okay, Shakoya. Any questions? Why is um you titled the share one became two, two became three? I'm wondering. Great. So that's exactly what we just finished off with just now. The one, which was Hashem, he so to speak scratched himself away and created the two. Yeah. But that two, that second, that Shani divided, subdivided into opaque and translucent. That was the three. You with me? So the reality divides, that was a great question to tie up. Reality divides, reality is one. That's reality, yeah? Now he did a crazy thing and he created the, the illusion of a second, yeah? So now we've got God and everything else, Sitra Akhwa Kleba. Now that level of Sidraqwa Cleveland now subdivides into, like we said, the, the opaque, which completely conceals, and the translucent that only um only partially conceals. Great question. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you.